0: Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. John, always good to talk with you. I'm glad to see you on Zoom. How has your week been? What have you been up to?
1: Good. Actually, this morning I recorded a sermon for our English congregation. I think whenever I record messages, it's always a little nerve wracking. I don't really like preaching into a camera. How
0: about you? I am also still getting used to preaching to a camera. Been doing it for, I think, almost every week since you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, and it's still just, uh, it's not the same, right? And it's, it's not super fun, but whatever, it is what it is, and we keep doing what we need to do.
1: Yeah, this is only my second time since the pandemic began, so I probably don't really have anything to complain about.
0: Yeah, but so... So as you know, our kids are doing homeschooling right now, um, and we're doing a unit on oceans, and so our kids are learning about different sea creatures, and uh, we talked about manatees this past week, and that's nice, my favorite. <laughs> uh, that's just a little inside thing for us, and, and with you, John, you're you're known as the manatee. That's maybe a story for another time, but I thought you'd like to hear that, and so one of my, one of my kids was really interested in manatees and concerned that they're on the endangered injured list. As he should be. <laughs> and so we're dreaming up of ways that we can save the manatees.
1: You know, a long time ago, my youth group for my birthday adopted a manatee on my behalf. But honestly, I have no idea what happened to that. Hopefully it's still swimming somewhere down in Florida. <laughs> That's a good idea. Maybe we'll we'll maybe we'll adopt the manatee as well. Awesome.
0: But anyways, John, I'm excited to introduce today's guest because he's a guy whom we've served with, and uh, we've had the benefit of being led by in various capacities when we were at Chinese Christian Union Church. Kenson Lamb is our guest, and Kenson serves as a pastor at Park Community Church, which is a multi-site church in the city of Chicago. Kenson leads the Bridgeport campus, and he's the Near South Regional Pastor, which I assume means you oversee a few of the campuses in the near south side of Chicago, Kenson, right? Help me out with
2: that. Thanks for joining us today. You're right. Glad to be with you guys, Jalen. Johnny and John, John, always good to see you guys.
1: It's so good to see you, Kenson. Just for frame of reference, Kenson, hopefully you're not upset that I shared this, but you were one of my youth counselors when I was in high school, and so we go way, way back. You saw me at some of my worst times, my most rebellious moments, so I'm thankful just for the patience that you showed me (laughs) during those years, but I was just wondering if you could share with us briefly your ministry journey. Where have you been? What are you doing now? And then how did God call you into ministry?
2: Appreciate that. Uh, John, give yourself a little bit more credit. You're you were only a little bit frustrating. You weren't all that <laughs> frustrating. All right. So yeah, I think for me, in terms of my ministry calling, it was actually not something that I ever thought that I would be doing. Like as raised by immigrant parents, the idea of doing ministry was was never something that was proposed. Like, you know, I always find it funny when people talk about like, oh yeah, my parents said that I could do whatever I want to do. I'm like, that was never an option for me. It was either be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, very typical, you know, the, the Asian kid story, but it, that's exactly what I had. So I, I didn't have any dreams of my own. So going to undergrad, I majored in bioengineering at UIC, not because I wanted to or because I enjoyed it, but it was just because that's what I owed my parents. So the way I fell into ministry was after I graduated my undergrad with engineering, I worked for about probably three to four years, and I was just miserable. I was like hopping between jobs. I was getting written up on probation because it was just bad. And also when I was studying my undergrad, I was put on academic probation twice then. So it, it only go to show like, like something clearly wasn't lining up with my passion. But the one thing that I kept going to is that as soon as five o'clock hit, boom, I'm running to prepare for Bible study or youth group, you know, or something else ministry related. And then I remember one day I was meeting with Pastor Donald, um, who is the associate English pastor at CC at the time, I had a relationship where I could just walk right into his office and just bother him whenever I wanted to. And one day I was sitting there and I was just sharing like how frustrated I was at work. He just looked at me and said, Hey, Kenson, have you thought about taking a class at Moody? And I was like, shut the door. Like, that was the first time, like, I ever heard anyone mention anything about potentially looking into this. And kind of that one moment, I don't even think Pastor Donald knew what that question did to me. But that one moment began to open a door where I just started to pray and fast. God, is this something that you want me to do? And at that time, I was still just, uh, actually, I, I was engaged to my then- fiance, you know, my soon to be wife, and we're praying about it, but nothing solidified around it. But then eventually, two years into marriage, we're like, I think that this is what I want to do. So it was really one of those things where I didn't initially feel called to it. But then the things I started giving myself to the way, the things I was running to the things that brought me the most life, people were just like, Kenson, like, you really got to consider and pray about what this looks like. And everyone around me was very affirming about it. In addition to that, too, it's just with my studies at, at undergrad at UIC, where I was on probation. I was getting some of the best grades in my entire life, you know, at Moody. Like I, Jalen and I, we we took a couple of language classes, and I was like, man, let's let's do this. You know what I mean? Like I. I had a poster in my house that said, you know, Jalen will not defeat me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. So, but but that's really how I felt called into ministry. It was just one of those things where God just kept affirming, you know, opening different doors and bringing other people into my life. And Pastor Donald, like, I think it just goes to show again, just like how when us as leaders speak into other people's life, it can really open incredible doors of just vision and hope and stuff like that. So yeah, that's awesome. I love how
0: God has ordained
2: people in our lives
0: at specific moments to speak truth into our our lives or to spark something that gets us moving into a direction that he wants us to go. But going back to your parents, then how did they respond to your call to ministry? How did they react when you told them, this is where I'm going to go?
2: Yeah, you know, my, my parents um, are still not believers. Uh, my mom, she she claims to be a Christian, but really the reason she claims to be a Christian is because that's really, in her mind, like the best deal out there. Like, oh, I just have to believe in Jesus. I go to heaven for all eternity. There's no denying of oneself. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's nothing like that. So yeah, so I, I would consider m- my parents, and my wife's parents to not be believers. So when I wanted to pursue ministry, it was received with a lot of negativity. They were very angry at the church. They felt that I was being brainwashed. The very fear that they had when I started going to youth group has come to fruition. We're like, oh my goodness, my son has now become so indoctrinated by this church that he's going to give his life to. Like, So all that to say is that it was a very difficult season. And by the time I made the final decision that I'm going to go ahead and pursue this calling, I was already married so my wife and I were on the same page, we're like, we're gonna do this. And I remember um, the moment when I talked to my parents and said like, this is what I'm gonna do with my life. I knew that it brought a death to the family, especially being the older son in the family. The pressure that I've always felt is that my parents who immigrated from Hong Kong, they never had any ambitions to be anything more than a blue collar worker. My mom, who's now for the last 30, 40 years has been just like a data entry person. Like she literally just types numbers in all day. And my dad was a takeout restaurant chef for for 30 years, you know, 30 plus years of his life. He never had any aspirations for them to have money or career or prestige. It was all on the kids, and especially on the oldest son, all on me to be that, right? Because you guys know how it works in Chinatown, right? Like the parents are always pointing to their kids, like, yeah, look at my kids. They're a doctor. Yeah, look at my kids. They're going to Northwestern. Look at my kids, you know what I mean? And it gives them validation that the sacrifices that I've made the choices I've made to sacrifice has been worth it. And to be able for them to, s- to understand now that your son is going to be a pastor when they don't understand who Christ is, is just absolutely devastating. And I knew that when I did that, that was probably the hardest moment of my entire life because I knew that there was just a death in the family, a death of their dreams. It was really hard. Those first couple of years of just going to ministry in school, it was difficult. And then also on my wife's side, uh, her parents did not receive it well. They felt like I did a bait and switch, like, hey, you know, we gave our daughter to you and then you go out and do this. You're not going to be able to support her this and that, and, and you can tell there's a little a level of resentment behind that as well too. So yeah, it was it was really really hard, very difficult that season. As a shame honor
1: culture, it's such a strong pull and desire to really please your parents and uh, do what brings quote unquote honor to the family. Yet at the same time, you have this strong clear call from Jesus to give your life in obedience to Him and to serve Him. And so, how did you balance? those two things like even after the initial they're upset at you they think you're throwing your life away so then in those early years how did you kind of navigate that tension
2: so my, my wife and i knew that going into this that this is how they were going to receive it and the conviction that we felt is that now is an opportunity to be able to show them how as christ followers it does not make us uh worst kids it makes us the best kids you know what i mean like at least in, in their eyes and my wife and i we were absolutely committed to doing everything that we can to show them how The love of Christ is not just something that's in word, but that it's completely transformed uh, our life. Because the other option would have been like, forget you guys. I don't care what you guys have to say. You know, I'm married already. I'm doing my own thing. I don't need your permission. But my wife and I was like, that that is not how we're going to handle this. So even amidst all the disappointment and all the pain, like my wife and I, like we were continually proactive in honoring uh, our parents, you know, setting up family meals. That even though I might not live up to the value of financial stability, of having the name, prestige, and title of whatever, the one Chinese value that I could honor and do really well was the family piece and to show through presents, show that through little things like taking them out to meals, you know, showing up, you know, and visiting their house, you know what I mean? Like on a weekly basis, just to to swing by and and, and talk with them so that he can see over and over again, all right, you know what, this church thing isn't all that bad. As you can imagine, every time we had a family dinner, this was always a topic of conversation, like, You know, how much longer are you going to do this? You know, do you really think it supports your wife? You know, do you think you could really raise a family like this? Do you think you could really buy a home? Like that was a constant conversation. But I remember a big turning point. I was taking my parents out to a family trip. So my parents were a little bit older. So one of the ways that I wanted to love and honor my parents was to actually take them out like on family vacations. Like my wife and I would just do that and spend a week together. And we went to Toronto for a week, which is like here in Chicago, kind of like Mecca for us. You know what I mean? Like you got to go there and eat all the Chinese food. <laughs> so I remember we we're out there. My wife and my mom were kind of window shopping. I was standing next to my dad. I don't know the name of the corner, but I know where exactly the corner was in Chinatown in Toronto. And I remember I was standing there with my dad. And my dad's, said to me, I'm so glad I let you go to church. It made you a better man. Wow. And in that moment, I was like on the brink of like, I just wanted to bawl and cry. And I don't even think my dad knew what he was saying. I think he was just saying this to say it out of, out of a whim, you know, and I was just trying to hold it to me together because I didn't want to freak my dad out. But it was in that moment where I was just thanking God in my heart. I was like, God, thank you so much, because this is exactly what we've been working towards is to be able to have my parents and my wife's parents to be able to see like Christ is the real deal. You know, we're living for him And there is just no greater joy and passion. And the cool thing about it is where my parents and my wife's parents, where they initially had just incredible resentment towards the church, they're they're actually very positive about the church, saying like, yeah, like the church is really good. They do, you guys do a lot of good things. Now, whether or not they're going to show up, that's a whole different thing. But at least now, like the rhetoric that they use now about the church is completely different. So again, it's just a huge blessing, but that it did take a lot of time. It took a lot of hard conversation. It took just a lot of just taking the punches. You know what I mean? You just keep taking the punches until you're done and they're tired of it. And then that's when I think they can finally see like, all right, let's, let's really see what's going on here with them. How long did
1: it take before they started to come around?
2: Probably, um, I'm doing a math now seminary was four years, three years at CCUC. Yeah. So about seven years. So it didn't really happen until I actually transitioned to Park Community Church in in 2010. It took a long time. And actually, that's when I also had my first son as well. So I think a lot of that kind of all played into it. They were also able to see like our parenting and how it was so radically different from theirs. So I think that all played into it. So it it took a long time. It, it 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 was a long journey.
0: As you're sharing that story about you and your dad in Toronto and how he was glad that he was able to send you to church, what are some of the benefits that you saw or that you felt being at a Chinese church?
2: Many things. Well, besides meeting my wife and marrying her like obviously that that's 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 a, that's a major highlight a lot of great things well first off just learning like just a strong work ethic a serving ethic at ccc and also kind of the other networks of chinese churches like what my feeling and what i've observed and doing like teen camp ministry working with other counselors from different churches like you just get this sense of there's not a lot of pretentiousness it's kind of like let's get the job done let's work hard if we need to work later hours let's get it done with the circles that i was working with like just uh a high spirit of collaboration, you know, willingness to, to work with the team like no one really cared who got the credit as long as the work got done for jesus and i really love that aspect of working in the chinese church and I, this might be true just for ethnic churches in general it was just like a high value around community and fellowship and friendship and lingering and talking like i've always assumed this uh but when i transitioned to park which is a predominantly white church once you give the benediction to say amen people like file out like before you know it like there's only like 10 percent of the room le- left in the room like everyone else is gone but back like in the Chinese church like you 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 pray amen and people be hanging out in front of the CCUC like doors for, like an hour and a half like it might be longer than the fellowship time and I miss that and I love that.
1: So tell us a little bit more about uh, Park and the context that you're in right
2: now. So the church I'm with right now is Park Community Church. Uh, Our church is about 30 years old, um, and we got our name from planting in Lincoln Park. So Lincoln Park neighborhood, and if you're not familiar with Lincoln Park, it's probably one of the most affluent neighborhoods that we have in in all of Chicago. It's also a predominantly white neighborhood. I think it's about 90 plus percent of Caucasian. So Park Community Church, uh, for much of its history, has been incredibly affluent and also incredibly white. So when I jumped in back in January of 2010 to be on their staff, um, it was one of their intentional moves to begin to push themselves outside of being a city-centered church. Like one of the taglines that we said is that we're not just in the city, but we're also for the city. And if we're for the city, we need to start like reflecting other neighborhoods and other aspects. So when I came in, I was the first person of color, you know, to join their pastoral team. Like everyone else was white. I was the only Asian guy. Like I, like right away, I was like, holy cow, like this is weird. It felt like moody all over again. Like, this is just so weird right now, uh, being the only Asian guy here. But I appreciated the initiative that they took around that and it took a lot of courage to do that. And in addition to that, to be able to have me launch their first location and to turn a congregation over to me, I think spoke a lot about just the church's commitment around that. Now, obviously, it was a huge learning curve with that. There's a lot of stories I can share about all of that. But that was the first location that we launched. And then after that, in the last 10 years, uh, we've launched uh, another Uh, six locations all throughout uh, the Chicagoland area. So uh, we have three up north. We have two in the city center. um, We have another two in the near south area. I currently oversee our Bridgeport location. We also have a South Loop location. Um, So we're multi-site and we are a church that's committed to ministering in the city, specifically focusing in the city. And the best way to do that is by church planting into neighborhoods so that we can contextualize as opposed to being a destination church where we're telling folks to come to us. Nothing wrong with that. God uses both, but just for our philosophy of ministry, we felt that like God's called us to do church that way.
0: Yeah, as you were sharing about transitioning into a, a church that was predominantly majority culture, predominantly white, what were some of the challenges that you felt in adjusting to a non-Chinese church, having grown up in a Chinese church your whole life? And then maybe even for your family, your wife, like being in a non-Chinese church now, because obviously, as you said, that that sense of family, that sense of community in a Chinese church is very strong. And then for you to to transplant your family to a different context, what were some of the challenges in that?
2: So, So yeah, so there are definitely challenges like professionally and relationally. So first, professionally, this is not true for all white churches, if I can say that, but at least in the culture for this church, like they really valued flat leadership. So for me, like growing up in a Chinese church, like if the senior pastor or your pastor said, like, this is what you're going <laughs> to do, thus saith the Lord. You just you just listen and you just do it. And to question or to give feedback or to give criticism would just be like, no, 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 no. That's You're going to get some church discipline. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Uh, at Park, like it was unnerving. For example, the senior pastor at the time, Jackson Crum, I remember one time he was giving a message and like after he was done, he just walked up to me and says, hey, Kenton, you know how, you know, any feedback for the message? So I'm doing my usual, like, oh, it was perfect pastor. Oh, you brought us to Christ. It was fantastic. And he's like, do you have any feedback at all? Any ways that I I can improve? And I was like, no, I can't think of any right now. And he stopped and looked at me. and He says, Tenson, you are not making me a better leader by not giving me feedback. And I was like, wow. Like I was like, dude, you've been preaching for as long as I've been alive. And to me, like I felt like, what do I really have to offer? But I think that moment was just, it was exciting in the sense like, wow, Like my voice really matters. But also at the same time, like rethinking what, what, what does it look like to be a team player? What does it look like to... To speaking to things. What does it look like to see authority within the church? You're like, well, what does it all mean? So, so that really shook me up uh, in, in, in that way. Another thing as well, too, kind of professionally with Park is that since I was the only person of color on the pastoral team for at least for the first two or three years, all of a sudden I became an expert of all Asian things, uh, within the church and sometimes with, with all things dealing with the race. And after a while, like, I'm just like, guys, I can't represent billions of people in the world. Like I just, I just, I just can't, I can't do that for you guys here. So, so, but, but feeling a lot of pressure around that too, because knowing that by me joining staff, one of the responsibilities and privileges I had was a help move the church along in terms of the race conversation, but it's very difficult when you're the only person of color trying to get that conversation going. And kind of more on a personal level, uh, one of the things that we missed a lot transitioning from a church like CCUC is that CCUC everyone's story was our story. Like, hey, yeah, oh, my parents are from Hong Kong, and yeah, we immigrated here. We went to the school over here. Oh, yeah, we ate at this restaurant over here. You know, you like you can you can use all these like different Chinese terminologies and all this. Stuff. Everyone has a good laugh around it at park like I don't have like a real rural background you know what I mean like I, I don't I don't come from a farm you know I don't I didn't go to Nebraska like all of a sudden like like uh like these guys are eating like quinoa and all this like what are you guys doing? Like I have no idea what this is like the, the first time I met a vegan was, was at park. I'm like I don't know what to do right now with myself. Um, so like relationally in that way like it was very difficult. Like it took a lot of work to build friendships because those initial kind of connecting points we didn't have. I mean I was an alien to them like we just didn't get each other. More so for me, like just, just being a minority, like on an all-white staff team, like I really felt out of place. Like I really felt like I was back at like high school again where like I'm like one of the few Asians and just like just trying to find ways to navigate and not be too Asian weird. You know what I mean? Like just trying to like figure that out, like what my place was. And this wasn't really so much on the church, but it was really kind of like a pressure that I felt like, like how, how do I belong here when I feel so out of place so so much of the time? And so those are were, those were definitely some of the challenges I faced around that.
1: Uh, What were some of the things from, you know, your Chinese church background that you brought to the table or you you've seen kind of bleed into your congregation or even in the way that you lead at Park now?
2: Um, At this point, still right now, amongst the park staff team, I am still the only guy who is a lifelong Chicagoan. There is no one else in like a 50-person staff team that can say like they were born and raised in Chicago, Chicago public school system, the whole thing. I'm still the only guy who can do that. So even with my own experience and being from an immigrant background, like I bring a lot of different dynamics in regards to helping them understand like there is a different story. And praise God, like recently, like uh, we just about a year ago hired on a Korean-American associate. pastor. So he actually sits under me in my location. So we actually have now like a a couple of voices. And then we also have uh, someone who's uh, who's Indian join our pastoral staff team town. So we actually have now more and more folks who are able to speak more into that, to be able to speak with another narrative besides the predominantly like white culture narrative. So that's been fantastic. And to be able to share like, guys, let me just share with you how I grew up. I grew up working on the weekends at a Chinese restaurant. I grew up having blue collar parents. I grew up not having mom and dad taking me to soccer practice. So you guys have got to understand like, when we talk about applications and sermons, understanding that there's different people that you need to understand like their situations in. And quite honestly, there's only so many neighborhoods that are similar to Lincoln Park or Near North or Forest Glen or Norwalk, which are predominantly white neighborhoods. If you want to reach the rest of Chicago, they're going to be more my story than, than your story. So, I think that that's played an incredible value. And actually, um, I know, Jalen, you mentioned earlier how I, I'm stepping in as the near south regional like pastor. That was actually a very intentional move because they wanted to make sure that the people can represent kind of the highest leadership amongst our church structure. So the way we have it is that we actually don't have a lead pastor. We actually have a team of four people who represent different regions within our churches. So together as a team, we serve as a lead pastor. So it was very intentional that they brought me in to say, like, Kenson, like, if we're going to move this ball forward with church planting, we're going to need your voice to help speak into that. And then also as well, I don't know if this is necessarily like a Chinese thing or maybe more of a just a personal philosophy or temperament thing. But what I really picked up from CCC2 is just kind of like this really strong desire to work as a team, to work as a family. And that also brings about a high level of like collaboration. My team here, it's not, it's not business as usual. Like I don't treat my team like a Martha team. Like let's just get things done. Because I've said in plenty of those meetings where some of my white peers is kind of like business school, like, you know, this, the list, the strategy, you know, the analysis. And for me, like, I don't know if it's a soft leadership thing, but I was well, like, no, we're first going to hang out. We're first going to talk. We're first going to break bread. We're first going to do stuff like that. And, and I, and I feel like I've brought that as a leadership dynamic. And actually that's rubbed a few of our, our alpha males. Hey, like what's the point of this leadership meeting? Like, you know, let's, let's let's get things moving. I was like, we'll get there. We'll get there. You know what I mean? But let's, let's put some time just catching up and praying for each other, you know? So I think I've been able to bring some of those different you know dynamics to the team.
0: Yeah. Have you, you said that, you know, kind of rub some of the other leaders, you know, the wrong way. How about at a more like a church-wide level, at a congregational level, having maybe more leaders of color, uh, having a more diverse leadership team? uh, How have you seen the church or different campuses respond to that sort of change in leadership?
2: That's been pretty challenging. Just speaking frankly with you guys, like I have felt that at times like my leadership hasn't been received with the same kind of weight as a white peer. For example, like uh, when we launched our Bridgeport location, we first started off with percentage-wise 60% 60% Caucasian and 40% minority. About two years into it, the numbers completely flipped, where it was 60% minority and 40% were Caucasian, and the numbers of Caucasians were starting to drop and keep dropping. So it was it was a concerning thing. Like you know, it was a good thing in the sense that we're having more people of color sitting in our seats. And on Sundays, like I actually have to tell my worship coordinator, like, hey, like we need to work harder to make sure that we have white people up there because. Usually like in the white churches, okay, we need to make sure that we have some diversity up there. Like for me, it was like the complete opposite situation. So actually, like uh, I remember even just talking to my leadership team, you know, what's going on here? Like, you know, like what's happening? Because our numbers haven't like exploded. We're, we're still kind of at the same number. So percentage wise, like what's going on here? And then as I was talking to them, the white folks who are sitting on my leadership team asking them like, do you think it's because they have a hard time receiving leadership from an Asian? And they just said, yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think kind of like how we as people, minorities say like, we want to have a seat at the table, we want to see representation and how important it makes us feel like we belong. The challenge people are having coming to Bridgeport, my location is that when they see that their lead pastor is Asian American, their associate pastor is a Korean American, the worship coordinator is Korean American. They're kind of like, I don't see myself up there anymore. And I think for them, it's a brand new world very similar to me. I grew up with white teachers, white politicians, white bosses in in my professional world. Seeing white people in positions of authority, very natural, very easy. But to have an Asian man speak to a white person with authority and exhortation, what my white leadership team was telling me is like, Ken, you have to understand, like, that's unnerving in some ways. And the feelings that you have as a minority, they're actually now experiencing for the very first time. So unless you're a white person who actually comes in with a high value for diversity, it's actually going to be very hard for them to stick around. To me, that was a huge wake-up call. And there's one of the things where you just have to understand, like you just got to be patient with the journey. If you're really committed to the work of racial reconciliation, if you're really committed to the work of seeing diversity happen in the church, you've got to deal with it and you've got to keep pushing the conversation forward and just taking all the moments that you get and making them teachable moments. So we're much further along than where we were 10 years ago. So that gives me a lot of hope, but there's still a long ways for us to go. But as a church, we're committed to this. And I think it's because of that reason why like, I find incredible joy to continue to stay with the church and to minister and to serve because we want to keep working on it
1: you're fully invested at PARC and you are bringing a different perspective, different culture to the leadership there. How are ways that you've seen PARC, you know, partner with churches of color, uh, maybe even this Chinese church in Chinatown, or how have you dreamed to do that?
2: I've seen Park, especially in our, in many of our neighborhood locations, take a much more humble approach when it comes to community initiatives and who we're listening to and who we're involving around things. You know, so for example, Our Rogers Park location, incredibly diverse neighborhood, you know, African-American, some neighborhoods have the nations there. And what we see happening with, with a lot of that is that we are allowing our folks, especially our pastors of color, to be able to give leadership and direction to the type of initiatives that we do as a church. We would have never done this 10 years ago, but where we have other staff members say like, if that's what they said, that's what we should do. We should really listen to them because this is their world. This is what they're doing. And that to me is super, super encouraging. You know, also as well, too, like for us at at Park, like we really believe that if we're going to get stuff done, we can't do it alone. So if we're going to do, we have to do it in partnership with other churches for all our locations. Like we're all trying to meet on a monthly or weekly basis, just trying to meet up with other pastors within the neighborhood, building those type of relationships and not just white pastors, but also Latino pastors you know, Asian pastors and so forth. So that's that's been really, really good. We're planting churches to be neighborhood-based. So we're not looking to come in and take over, but we just want to be investing in neighborhood. And that means just listening well. Sometimes it means like, hey, not, not starting your own initiative, but like, hey, if this church is doing that, we come alongside of it and we give it engine power. So doing a lot of things like that, and many of the churches that we, we work with and that we serve with, um, is actually um churches way smaller than us, and I think it, it shows incredible value to them when we're able to say like, you know, what we're going to follow your leadership in this. So we'll show up. Just tell, just tell us what to do. Yeah, I appreciate that heart
0: of humility and that that desire for being teachable. Maybe for that person, maybe for one of our listeners who might be thinking about going into ministry, but they have immigrant parents or. Uh, parents who are very opposed to them going into ministry, what is one piece of advice or encouragement you would give to that person? And then just kind of broadly, uh, one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone who's serving in a Chinese church right now?
2: So for the first person who's considering about going into ministry, but have immigrant parents who aren't believers, or well, you already know not are not going to receive this well, The first thing I would like to exhort you with is to first and foremost, honor your parents. And what I mean by that is to be able to show them before you even make this decision, are you living in a way that is faithful? Are you living in a way that has integrity? Are you living in a way that is loving and caring for your family? If you are not doing that right now, it actually would be a poor witness to then all of a sudden say, I not want to go into ministry when you haven't been living a life that has shown a consistency of putting Christ first in the way that you treat others. So that would be my first advice to you is that, you know, how have you been treating your parents? How present have you been? How well have you listened? Have you been doing these things? If you haven't, that is your starting point. You need to do that. And after you've invested that time well, then have the conversation and be able to share clearly and boldly about what you believe God is doing with your heart. And kind of what my story Um, There is no easy way that they're going to receive this. There, There is just none, but do not be argumentative. Do not fight. Listen well, hold firm on your position and then be ready for the long haul. And what I mean by that is you just continue to love and love and love and you wear them down and you're able to show them that, you know what, like this calling that I have towards ministry is not just a calling to work in a church. This calling is also for you. It's your life as well, you. It's, it's my family's life as well, too, and to be able to minister to them in that way. So your calling in ministry is not separate from what you're doing with your family. It's, it's in tandem with it. And then for, the, for those who are currently working within a Chinese church, a mistake that I made as I was in the Chinese church is I started thinking to myself, like, I'm in the minor leagues here. You know what I mean? Like, this is just like, at, at, at that time, it was like the Willow Creeks. Like, those are the big churches at the time. Like, man, like, you know, I, I want to be at a church where there's a waterfall in the lobby. I'm at a church where like there's like, leak- there's like water leaking from the roof. I'm kind of like, that's not the waterfall I want. And I made the mistake of just thinking like, because we're an ethnic church, we're a neighborhood church, you know, we're an old church, like, oh, this isn't cool. This isn't innovative. This isn't like what I've been reading in school or what everyone's talking about. These aren't the people who are writing all the big major books. That was an incredible error on my part. And I wish I could go back in time, talk to myself and slap myself over the side of the head and just say, dude do you realize just how beautiful this church is? Because what is beautiful, especially with a church like CCC, which is my only experience, is that this church has been in the same neighborhood for over a hundred years. And for a church like that to have the kind of credibility that it has within the neighborhood, and also as wealthy to understand the missional distinctive that you have, that the church, yes, in every tribe, nation and tongue, guess what, you have a part to play in that because your church can only reach a certain population that no one else can reach. I can't reach the people in Chinatown. I am, in no way am I ever going to try to plant a church in Chinatown. Why? Because CCUC is there. So my job is to come along CCUC and to let them do their job well. You know what I mean? So all that to say is that uh, for those who are currently working within the Chinese church, crush it for Jesus. What you do is so vastly important. Don't worry about who's writing the books. Don't worry about who's giving the the, the, the leadership sessions. Don't care about who's who's doing all these exponential or multiplication talks and be who you are. Be faithful to where God's called you to reach out faithfully. Be excited, man. God God is at work. God is doing something. Yes. It might not look like what everyone else is doing, but what you're doing is so special, so beautiful. And something that my wife and I like, even to this day, like we talk about CCC with incredible fondness. What a special thing it was to be able to have the type of ministries that we have, the people that we had a chance to work with and all that stuff. So
1: no, you know, Kenton, we love that passion. We love your honesty and just willingness to to look back and say, you know, I made a mistake and I'm gonna use that to leverage that to. To help others who are in the journey behind me and so we really appreciate you sharing and coming on with us this has been awesome just hanging out with you again so thank you for coming on the podcast
2: no grateful to be with you guys and always great to see you guys and even already as i'm talking to different folks who are uh, asian american leaders and pastors like uh, i'm already thinking like this is going to be a great resource for them you know just to be encouraged in their heart to realize that they're not the only ones who are wrestling through this stuff so way to go guys thanks kenson
1: That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.